Hi, I'm Jimmy Correa, and thank you for listening to Conversations Between Addicts. Some of the most meaningful conversations I've had with people outside of my family were with people that had been where I'd been and had felt what I'd felt. It was raw, honest conversations that came after a 12-step meeting where buckets of tears were shed, or during the week when I called a friend because I needed help sorting through the mess in my head. They were the conversations where I wasn't trying to impress anyone, and I knew that they didn't judge me for all the stupid things that I'd done. This is what Conversations Between Addicts is about. I hope that as you listen, you will be inspired with hope for a brighter future and open up to someone that you can trust in full honesty. This is not a recovery program or any kind of replacement for professional help. As difficult as it may be, recovery really begins when you get real, fully honest with yourself and God. I urge you, if your life is being overtaken with addiction, get help. Talk with a family member, church leader, or colleague that you can trust. Go to a therapist or counselor. Get the help that you need. Real recovery from addiction doesn't happen alone in isolation. I know you can be free and feel the full joy that comes with that freedom. Most of all, I want you to know that you're not alone in this. We really are all together. So reach out, speak up, and let's help each other out so that we can enjoy that, that joy and freedom that comes from recovery from addiction. All right, welcome to our podcast today. I am excited to introduce a fairly new friend of mine. His name is David Hewlett. Um, we actually met, uh, well, it was probably a month or more ago. Um, we got to speak uh, to uh, uh, a ward in Kearns, was it, uh, about addiction recovery and some of, the, some of the lessons we've learned along the way. And that was just a really cool experience. I was super impressed with David's enthusiasm and, and uh, just uh, tenacity, you know, against the adversary and, and his um, desire to help other people. Um, so David is a return missionary, served his mission in, in San Diego, and a graduate of the Sons of Healman program with Life Changing Services. Uh, and now he's working as an assistant therapist and life coach for life changing services. And I am just, I would bet that you are changing some lives along the way, bud. So anyway, with that, David, why don't you, uh, tell us a little bit, bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on first. Um, a little bit about myself is I'm just like the, the normal, normal 20 something, you know, it's just trying to figure things out. There's nothing, you know, I've been super blessed to be a part of, uh, to be a part of life changing services and especially to be able to, to take my experience as an addict and to help the guys that are going through it right now. Um, but I, uh, I love sports. I love to, uh, I love to, to read and to learn about history. I like politics. I like, I like basically everything. I just enjoy learning about everything that I can. But my my main my main focus is just helping people. That's got, whether it's moving couches or talking to them about or talking to them about the addiction to pornography or masturbation. It's something that it just incorporates all aspects of my life. And so that's kind of that's how I describe myself. <laughs> cool. Well, I probably should preface this too. I 
I did have a, a friend recently comment. He said, you know, your podcast is called Conversations Between Addicts, but really the only addiction you talk about is addiction to pornography. And uh, the only addicts you have on there are, are men and uh, they're LDS. So maybe you should call it something a little more specific. <laughs> and, you know, I totally, I, I agree with him on that. But, you know, at the same time, this, this is, this is my world. This is who I, I associate with. And, and gosh, some of the awesomest men I know, just, you know, just like you, David. So um, if, you know, whatever you feel like you, you could share, why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe your background in regards to the addiction? Um, uh, maybe some of the challenges you faced, some of the things you tried uh, uh, that worked, some of the things that didn't work. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's like delving into every memory, you know. It seems that that this has like grip on most of my childhood and teenage years. You know, those are the things that I remember most deeply for whatever reason. You know, mm-hmm. now I it's the the things that are most poignant in my memory. Um, it started when I was eleven. You know, I just I, I'll segue into this. I remember talking to my mom one day before my mission. And it hit me as an 18-year-old, how on earth was I supposed to defend myself as an 11-year-old? Do you know what I mean? Hmm. But even as an 18-year-old, it's just like, I talk to these guys at Sons of Helaman, I'm like, how on earth, you know, I'm so grateful for Sons of Helaman because the world does not give resources to help you fight against these things. Hmm. And so I look at at, um, me as an 11-year-old, just kind of, it was strictly curiosity, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't anything too, too crazy in the way that it started, but it was just a one source here, one friend there, you know, and then it slowly progressed as time went on, you get more curious and you're venturing into a world that my parents didn't even know existed. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the world of the internet and everything that is available. And it's so, I just feel like, I mean, in, in a, in a way that does make me feel proud but not very humble at the same time as I feel like a, a pioneer on the stage of learning how to defeat pornography because mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was just like it's it was I was just bombarded with these sources with these opportunities and to look back at how you know my dad and I have talked about many times how you know when he was growing up you had to look for it you had to go find it you really did and not that it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. I mean, it's getting bigger, but it's not like it was non-existent in the seventies or anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I've, I've talked about how you used to have to go look for it. And now it's basically like in order to live life, you have to sort through the muck and wait through the swamp of, of pornography now trying to figure out how to overcome it. And so I just did not have the, the moral, capacity to understand how to avoid that and it was all secrecy these guys and sons of humans that go to their parents immediately or go you know that just go to their brothers and sisters or their bishops as soon as they can these are the guys that are successful because for me it was just like it was i would feel bad about it but in the beginning i didn't really even know it was bad you know Mm -hmm. and only when you get caught and realize that it's something that is bad because you're hiding it and you're lying about it and you're nervous about someone understanding it, and it really is a skeleton in your closet, um, do you start to become depressed and you start being self-conscious, you start losing your, your connection to your family. You know, it doesn't start out like that as an 11-year-old. 
you know, you don't really know the things that you're doing, but as you get it, as I, as it progressed into the, my teenage mind, more of like a 13, 14, 15 age group, the addiction really took hold. It was, um, it was my main focus. It was, you know, it, even though I would get caught several times, it was just like, figure out a way around the barriers, you know, there was never a repentant desire at that time for whatever reason, you know, like, I don't know why not, you know, mm -hmm. it, was kind of, it was kind of odd just to, I look at it now and how deeply I don't want to do it. You just contrast it with the fact that I would feel bad about myself in other avenues of my life, like self-conscious around my friends. Right. And I would feel, I would feel worthless in other areas, but I never knew what the source was. Why do I feel this way? Why aren't I self-confident? Why can't I be happy? Why do I feel like I'm not pleasing people? Or why do I feel like I have to please people? Why can't I just be myself? Constantly thinking about what others are thinking about you type of a thing. And now looking back, it's obviously the side effects of that addiction and, and the, the death comparison that you make between yourselves and these awful images that you're receiving, you know, mm. you to feel causing you to feel less than you really are just because you're a 13 year old that has no idea what real life's really like, but you still, you still indulge in it because your brain creates it's like, cause that's just what Satan does. You know, he, he just takes you from you're happy and happy and happy. And then all of a sudden you stop being happy. And so in order to make yourself happy, you release that, that dopamine in your head by going to your addiction and then because you're progressively getting less happy and you don't know why you just go straight to that addiction mm. and it just gets deeper and deeper. And, you know, until like I would go to my Bishop and I would let him know, but um, I honestly don't think I had like a real come to Jesus moment until I was 16. So, I mean, here I am five years in and I'm just kind of floating by my parents knew, but I don't think they ever really like, They'd catch me and then think it would stop and then catch me again and think it would stop. It was never like a continuous conversation about, hey, what's going on? And um, so, I, I mean, I never thought that reading your scriptures or praying or anything would help. I, I never sought help, you know. It was never a, a search for help. It was just kind of like mm -hmm. I would appease the authority figures until they would get off my back and then I would get back into it. So what made the difference? You said when you were 16, it was when you kind of started. What, what changed? Um, I think it was when I started, I, I would even take it back a little earlier to, to ninth grade being a 15 year old and being in seminary for the first time mm -hmm. and seeing these guys that had put in effort spiritually and were striving for something that I didn't even realize was being strived for. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. There was a, there was a, a desire, a passion in them to do something good. I mean, I, I, I was a good kid, and I can say that honestly. Like, I had good desires. I mean, I was a little bit rebellious, as every teenager is, but I got good grades. I played sports. You know, I excelled in sports. I did. I, you know, I, I just felt like I was smart and I was capable. But in the spiritual realm, it was like because of my addiction, Satan was convincing me that I wasn't part of that. I didn't belong in the – seminary class mm -hmm. um, but he doesn't want you there of course yeah, exactly <laughs> right and when an inspired seminary teacher saw me and saw me for just a couple days and made me seminary class president 
you know, and I was able to bear my testimony every day for a semester. And I was bearing a testimony that was coming to me as my mouth was, was opening, you know, which is just what a miracle. And that opened my eyes. I received my testimony of Christ at that time. And that's when I started having a desire and recognizing that this pornography addiction was causing a problem in my life. You know, like I had always known that I wasn't supposed to, I was like, I wasn't supposed to do it, but I didn't recognize the consequences until that time. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I would say the initial one is, but I would say that there was continual awakenings because you don't just awake from darkness in one fail moment, you know, Mm -hmm. the Lord takes it through degrees. Cause if you were to see all the light and all the truth all at one time, I don't think you'd be able to handle it. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it was for me. So I take it that Sons of Hillman was a big part of your uh, recovery. What, when, when did you find out about them and how did that come play in? Yeah, it, um, so I'll just kind of give you the chronology a little. So it was like 16 year old going to seminary being, I ended up becoming less active just because I was not offended as much as annoyed by my classmate. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and so I just used it as an excuse and without the fuel of a spiritual testimony that I wasn't nourishing. I just kind of stopped going to church. And then my buddy ended up being like, hey, you're coming to church with me, you know, saving angels. You know, I, I talk all the time about how my friends were, I had a thousand angels at my back all the time. Just so many parents and friends and stuff. But he just got me to start going to church. And piece by piece, he took, we went, the Lord took me slowly. Um, rough stone rolling, like Joseph Smith says, right? Mm-hmm. He just like he he dealt with me as I was, and that helped me to know that no matter what I did, the Lord loved me, right? So here comes I didn't go to so, so a lot of these guys I'm with are in junior high and high school, and then get on their mission to graduate Sons Hill, right? So I had already graduated high school. I was a student body officer my senior year, and like I played football, and I was like try I was starting to flourish. You know, I could feel that there was good to be done in my life, and the Lord was was putting things in. And he ended up um, sending a girl into my life that really helped me and some experiences, one that brought me really low and another girl that brought me high, right? <laughs> you know, so I experienced the whole confiding in someone and then them deciding that they didn't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And that was painful as anything I ever experienced up to that point, right? 17-year-old just like, how do I deal with emotion? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, but then after I graduated high school, started working, my bishop had, my bishop had suggested some of the healing back in high school, but because of how busy I was my senior year doing football and some of and student body stuff is that I, I couldn't do it. And so I thought I had a handle on it. Really. It's so interesting because I had been doing better as I was going, as I was getting ready to go on my mission. And then as soon as I was like, I told the bishop no in the meeting. I was like, I don't think I need it. And then the spirit was just like, Boom, you know, it was like a, hit me like a face palm right in the forehead, you know, and he was like, you need to change that answer. And so I was like, I think I should do it, like literally right after. And it completely changed my life. Um, so Sons of Philemon is a 12-week program, and because of the miracles that happened, is it okay if I just go into this part? Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, like – 
I started in August of 2012 and um, Sons of Human is a 12-week program and I graduated it in 14 weeks. So I had one lost battle and then just decided at one point, okay, I'm not doing it again, you know? Mm -hmm. And I went into a spiritual cocoon. Um, It was, you know, that sounds like, oh, then you must not have had the addiction very bad. But I like, I went crazy, you know, and I looked at it. (laughs) It was good for the time. But when it comes to long-term effects, I like, I'm glad that these guys are in groups for two years or a year and a half because Mm -hmm. it does more than just a quick, let's, it's not, it's not a diet, you know, Uh it's a lifestyle change. Yeah. And, um, but so I started and I went through and at six weeks is when the, the missionary age change happened. And so here I am, this 18 year old kid looking forward at the future, going to college, all of his friends are leaving on his mission. A girl that he loves is going to be gone too, you know, up at college and I, what am I going to do? And all these things, all these doubts and one fell swoop the savior just said, Hey, this, like I, you know, and I'm going to claim it as what he did for me because that's how influential it was. If there was anyone that influenced more, I don't know him yet. You know, mm-hmm. but that announcement, I broke down into tears because here I was at week six, you know, lost. And immediately with the words of president Monson, he just said, all right, David, here's your path. And this is your springboard for the rest of your life. And so there was, you know, called my bishop. My mission papers were start, started the next day, still in the program, right? Like at week six, you're doing well, but nothing's certain as, as I've seen, you know. And so, but that experience and just all of a sudden, all of my things were clear. I was understood why everything had happened the way it had happened. All of the disappointments, all of the hurt, all of the good, all of the bad, you know, had happened for that moment for me to be able to be prepared and motivated to overcome my addiction and get in my mission. And I actually graduated Sons of Healing in the day that I got my mission call. Wow. That's cool. Isn't it crazy, though, that you can, I mean, you just summed up like, um, what, like eight, eight years in like, you know, 10 minutes. And, and uh, yet when we're stuck in the, in those dark, dark holes that you're just like, man, it is never going to get better. And, um, I don't know, you just get so focused on, on uh, the negative past thinking that's part of, you know, your present and future. And it's all just, you know, you're stuck there. And yet, how cool is it? You can look back now and you look back at those eight years and all the amazing lessons you've learned and you can see the hand of the Lord and, and you have this new understanding of the atonement. Like, that's, I think that's a great exercise for any of us in any, in any stage of life. Like, hey, how has the Lord blessed me? And, and see his hand in our lives, you know. And, yeah, I- I love that. I love that so much that I feel I, I, this is what I said when we were at that ward it, the only reason that I share it with these people, these complete strangers, you know, I went to, <laughs> I went to Viewmont high school in, in Centerville um, and told 400 sophomores that I had pornography addiction. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I was terrified, but the only reason that I do it, and the only reason that I say to the people at churches is I share this with you because it's sacred to me. 
because this experience that I had is not something that I have any shame about. And I've only ever been glad that I've shared, shared it with people. There's never been a, I mean, I've been, there's been adverse reactions, but the spirit has always consecrated for my good. The more open that I've been, the better it's always been. Always, always been. And so, especially like right now, as I describe this experience, I learned things about it that I didn't know because the spirit teaches you as you speak. So mm-hmm. I think that's a great, what a great way to call it an exercise because it seriously is. Yeah, I, I like the way you said that. And for me, you know, I've, I've done the, the Sons of Healing program for the, for the men, the men of Moroni, um, for, you know, the men that are uh, returned missionary or, you know, after mission or married. And, um, and I've also, you know, done the 12-step program. And when you talk about that, like not being ashamed to share it, for me, that's, that's a lot of some of these, you know, like step four in the 12-step is truth. And to me, that's just owning it. You know, it is what it is. It doesn't mean I tell everyone, but I'm not ashamed to tell the people that need to hear it. Um, because it, it, for me, it just destroys the shame. When you own it as it is and not try and pretend that it's, you know, not quite as bad as it really is, you know, <laughs> like, or, or pretend that it never happened. Um, yeah, it just, it, it feels like I'm giving in to that, that whispering of, of the adversary, you know, Satan saying, hey, yeah, people don't need to know that about you. If they did, what would they think, you know? Oh. Shut up, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I love, you said a phrase that I feel like I love is that it's something you own that you're giving to other people. If you don't own it, then it's just like, oh, you're looking into my soul right now and I don't know how to deal with it. Mm. But if it's, uh, this is my experience from my heart to give to you. And no matter what you say about it, you can act however you want, but this is mine. And, you know, I feel like that can be done with all sins is that in the moment, it's just like, you know, you repent, you overcome. And instead of hiding it in the dirt, you know, you take it out and maybe it could be compared to talents. I've never thought of it that way. The fact that, you know, you take your one talent and you bury it in the ground and it doesn't multiply, but you take it and you share your experience and the sins that you've committed and overcome and repented can then multiply. And I mean, I, who would, who would consider repentance and overcoming sin and talent, you know, mm-hmm. maybe that's a way to think about it. Well, another way that I thought about it too, is that, you know, and even in this podcast, um, I don't feel like we're sharing our sins necessarily. I feel like we're sharing our weakness and there's a difference in my mind, you know, that um, we all have our weaknesses and yeah, there's, there's, you know, my sins are between me and and the Lord and, and, but my weaknesses. Yeah. Let's, um, I don't know. What's, what's, what's your take on, on that? I mean, should anybody just say, Hey, I've got an addiction, you know, like, uh, what what's your take on that? Because I, you know, that's that's a big struggle for a lot of us in the, our whole society. There's a lot of shame around, you know. Oh, you don't talk about this. You resolve it quietly between you and your bishop, and you know. Um, and there's even you know uh, advice from prophets and uh, general authorities uh, about you know when 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 you've repented of it, you're done with it. Leave it in the past. Don't worry about it anymore. You know. I don't know. What's what's your thoughts on? all of that 
and I guess you, I guess I preface it with only the, this is my experience and my opinion, you know, because there are certain things, you know, I feel like, I feel like everything that I've been through is my ammo, my ammo against Satan, against the addiction. Like if I, if I forget about it, then it's just going to come back. And now that's different. That's different than saying that the Lord forgets about it because that's a different principle. The Lord forgives and he doesn't remember you as that person. He sees the new you. But I feel like the more that I feed positive energy and remembering whether it's my pain, whether it's my, you know, I feel like every powerful emotion that I have is can be directed directly back at Satan. Um, and when it comes to sharing with people, you know, there hasn't been like, Every individual circumstance that I've ever had that where people have started to open up, I've always felt like it's been a, a good experience, always. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to sharing it, it as, a, as a testimony meeting thing, I feel like that might be an inappropriate setting, right? But my, my opinion is and like in the proper, and I feel like there are more proper settings than improper settings. Um, the more that you can share it, the, the better. Um, but I don't, but I think that you tapped on a principle that I haven't even considered is, is definitely like, it's about the principle of overcoming weakness. It's not about expounding upon your sins. Um, it's about the, this is what happened. Here's the principle of what I went through. Here's what I felt going through it. Um, here's what it caused me to feel. Here's, here's what it had the effect upon my life. Here's where this is, was a consequence. It's an experience that you had rather than being like, I did this. And then I did that, and then I did this, mm-hmm. because that's really not like we say in group. It's not, the worst thing isn't the sin; it's what Satan convinces you to believe about yourself. Yes. Oh, I that that was opened my mind um, not too long ago when I had a mentor say to me, "You know, Satan's he's he's not too concerned about whether you sin or not. He wants to get you discouraged." Because if he gets you discouraged, you take yourself out of the game, you know, and it's part of life and we repent We're, you know, we, we can be forgiven. The atonement takes care of that. But if we, if we allow ourselves to get discouraged, we take ourselves out of the game. Yeah. And that's, I mean, there's just way too much good to be done mm-hmm. for us to allow that. So completely agree. I kind of lost my thought there for a second. <laughs> I think the reason we both went blank is because the Lord wants that one reinforced to whoever's listening to this. Yeah, but it's I it serious and and when see okay well now the memories come back to me honestly when when I was taught that immediately after I I recognized I said oh yeah okay it's not about my sin it's about you know, what am I going to do afterward? Um, and, and I love it the way one of the missionaries have said it often in, in a, a 12-step meeting. He says, you know, the Lord looks at us as, you know, you got your hands dirty. And, and the Lord says, oh, well, go wash your hands. <laughs> and and, and but, you know, Satan says, oh, you got your hands dirty. Wow, that's awful. That is terrible. You, you you can't use those anymore. They're, yeah, they're never going to be clean again. Cut them off. You know? 
it's like exactly. uh, you know and it's so illogical yet we get stuck in that fog you know and even that's i think that's where why why we use the term addiction because you your brain is starting to change and you you lose your your uh, you know your frontal lobe your reasoning brain power and your brain's re- reverting back into that you know and the into the limbic system and you just uh yeah, you turn into an animal, you, your brain shuts down. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so yeah, it, that's why we go, oh yeah, my hands are dirty. Maybe I should cut these off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. Just so far from the truth, you know, because yeah, I don't like dirty hands or hands that have worked. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so give me some, give me some tips then for, those that are maybe stuck in that fog or in that dark hole or they're where they, they recognize, Oh, you know, I know something's wrong. I know I need to do something about it. But, but when you're stuck in that fog, it's almost like you really, you can't think you need someone to help you get out of it. What would you say to help someone get out of that? And you know, like my, like it's been, it's been a number of years since I was in, cause I remember. And the more that I think about it, the more I remember the, depth of that fog really how really how much it encompasses all of your thoughts and to say because now in order for me to get out of the funk that I'm in it's it's a solid prayer it's going to the temple it's you know a solid read scripture reading you know but when you're when you're that what we say in group is stoned when you're that stoned (laughs) those things those things don't penetrate as far as you need it to um and that's why maybe so I'll I'll just be honest is I think the only way for you to have that awakening is faith in Christ. And he has to cause events in your life to happen mm-hmm. that do jog you, whether it's something that's like a trek for me, or whether it's a, a moment where a wife explains to a husband how difficult it is in some way or the other you know if it's a if it's a really potently painful memory or if it's something that's really potently spiritual um is that the the lord will do his work but when it comes to that and and i honestly say like if there's one thing that you do it's that you pray with all the most the power that you have to have the lord send something your way that'll wake you up a little Hmm. and and once you do that and I'm talking about the deepest fog. Like that's the one where it's like nothing matters to you anymore. Mm. You've, you've given up on all your dreams, all your hopes. You don't see any future. There's an insurmountable mountain in front of you. And, and that thought is one that you can't just remedy with a, with a jog around the block. If you understand what I'm saying. I do. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> And I and I I would hate to cause any lack of hope in either of us, you know. But it's just that's just the truth is that you you dig yourself a hole deep enough that you need someone else to help you. And so if it's it's to seek out whether it's to friends or and you know if if you have a spouse or a girlfriend, it's not going to your spouse or girlfriend for help because they need to feel protected. In my opinion, you go to a bro, you go to a bro that can grab your hand and say, "Hey, man, I know what you're going through." And and you just you offer yourself up humbly to the Lord too, and if you do that, then He's the one that's going to be able to pull you out. Yeah, oh, I agree. That's because the thing I was thinking in my mind is, 
one of the most powerful things that I know of is is reaching out, you know, getting out of the isolation. Because it feels like when you're isolated, that's when, you know, the the adversary can really pile on the fog, and and you get you get outnumbered. Honestly, you're outnumbered when you're trying to do it on your own. And when when you can reach out, whether it be calling somebody or or you know even better talking with someone face to face, and and not just once, but over and over and over and over, because you know it doesn't always happen the first time. But if you're persistent, you know, along with earnest prayer, like just like you said, that you pray your guts out, say, Heavenly Father, I can't do this. I'm gonna put it in your hands. Let's have something happen. I need, I need, I need a lifeline. And and with that, I was thinking too. Just um, I got to go on the pioneer trek with uh, with our youth a couple weeks ago, and I loved what the stake president said. He was talking about um, we just sung "I Stand All Amazed" um, out in this meadow at Six Crossing up there in Wyoming, and just an incredible feeling of the spirit. And and uh, you know the second verse it says to rescue a soul so rebellious and proud as mine. And our stake president just said, let him rescue you. That's what he's here to do. That's why he came, came to rescue us. So let him do his job instead of trying to do it on your own. You know? Um, yeah, I think you, I think you hit it. Um, So what else? What else would you say, David? We're about to, about to the end here. What What do you think is the most valuable lesson that you've gained from, for less, for lack of a better term, that you've gained through of the the crap you've gone through? You know, because um, the the first answer always is going to be. And I'm going to give you two because I'm going to give you the one that's true. And then the one that I feel like I can apply outside of this. I went to a group called mothers who know for sons of healing. It's a group of moms who know about their kids that are in group and are just trying to understand how to experience this. And they asked me, what was my mighty change of heart? What was my, what was the, what was the experience? What happened in my life that just sent me, sent me straighter, you know? And like I, it took me a solid 45 seconds to sit and ponder, and I wanted to give them a sincere answer. I just wanted to give them the real thing, and I didn't even know it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I sat, I sat here right at this desk, and, um, and I was like, Heavenly Father, I don't know what the answer is to this, but as I open my mouth, please let something come out that is the truth. And it just shocked me because I said, that the reason there was not an event that did it, it was, it was a lifetime of experiences culminating in recognizing that no matter what I did, Christ loved me. No matter what I did. And it wasn't like dismissing, Oh, I'm not guilty for anything. Still feeling that responsibility. It was a, okay. Owning what I have, accepting the reality of what it is and believing that Christ loved me enough to go on a journey with me. 
And when I realized that, when I, when I had just, when it captivated, when I finally understood that in my head is when I was able to set step going forward. It didn't happen quick. I mean, that's like three or four years before I finally got over it. When I just knew deep, deep, deep down that the atonement was real and that Christ loved me. And that if I put my effort into it, I could overcome it through him. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had that first. But second, one of the most liberating experiences of my life um, was when I was told that I wasn't broken. That it wasn't, it wasn't one part of my brain fighting against the other. It was me fighting against Satan. That it was the reason I was being attacked wasn't because I sucked, wasn't because I was worthless, but it was because I am awesome. And, and for that reason, I still believe today that I'm awesome, you know, but I make tons of all that, you know, and I have tons of weaknesses, but because I was attacked as an 11 year old and because I was attacked subsequently every day for the rest of my life, I know that I'm a threat to Satan and that there is a fight to be had and there's a victory to win. And, and that was liberating. That changed everything about my fight because it became a fight. It was no longer just, when is this going to fix? Like when's the pipe going to start being, stop being busted? You know, when's the water heater going to work? When is the repairman coming to fix the air conditioning? You know, it was, you're on a battleground. Recognize that you're losing battles in a war and you can win the battles now. And, and recognizing that God-given ability to become ferocious and that it is okay to get really, really pissed. <laughs> you know, and to, and to be fierce. And, like, how, like I, I resonated with football, and I had Arsenal been, you know, a pretty intense kid. But to know that I could put all my energy into hating Satan and fighting against him is what, is what changed the ball game for me. Yeah. That just reminded me of a, a line from a poem that I really like uh, called a Psalm of life by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Um, just one of the lines out of there in, in the world's broad field of battle in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb driven cattle, be a hero in the strife. Yeah. It's it is a battlefield, and uh, and we are we are called to be heroes in our own life, um, and well, not necessarily just us, but you know we're we're called more to be heroes in in the for the Lord, uh, in His army, and uh, yeah, I think you're you're doing some awesome stuff. Well, gosh, David, thank you so much for your time. I wish we could keep going. Like, seriously, I love these conversations. It's so cool. And uh, I, that's like, uh, again, I've, I've said this before, but this is my hope for this podcast is that people will listen and go, wow, those conversations are cool. I want to do that too. I'm going to go talk to somebody about my challenges. It doesn't have to be addiction to pornography. You don't have to even be a Mormon. Like, just go talk with someone heart to heart, honest, open, uh, someone that you can trust 
um, in a safe place that uh, you can share share some of these things. It's it's liberating. It's it's awesome. You learn and and really you get that connection, which I think is a big part also in uh, in this defeating any kind of addiction. So. Anyway, with that, David, if someone would like to contact you or life-changing services, what would they do to do that? Absolutely. Uh, specifically for me, I mean, they can they can go ahead and uh, send an email to David G. Hewlett, D-A-V-I-D-G-H-U-L-E-T at gmail.com. Um, it's all lowercase. I mean, I'm not really a businessman, you know. I, I'm just the I'm just the the regular guy. But if you go to Sons of Hulman online, uh, S of H Outreach, and um, they'll be able to they'll be able to get in touch with life changing services. And if they really want me, you know, there's a lot of people out there that can help. If they really want me, then they can just ask for me. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. And I'm going to give you the last word. What do you want to say as we go out? Um, I'll swap poems with you, um, and I can't cite it because I'm not good at that, but there's the end of a poem that says, Rage, Rage Against the Dying of the Light, and that phrase goes through my head every day, that I'm raging against the dying of the light in myself and in others and in the world, because it's, it's, uh, it's not just because it's dying passively, it's because someone's attacking it, and so I just... Uh, with all of the love in my heart, I suggest and, and exhort and just hope that everybody can rage against the dying of the light. And the more that we unify our efforts, the more that we're going to be able to bring the light back to the earth. Awesome. Well, thank you, David. I believe you are doing that work. So, cool. Thanks. And uh, we'll talk to you again later. Thanks for being here. Hi, this is Jimmy Correa. I'm the host of Conversations Between Addicts. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that you'll visit us at our website, www.jimmyandshelly.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-A-N-D-S-H-E-L-L-Y, where you can find out more about me or my wife, Shelly, and here are some of the things that we enjoy doing. Most of all, I hope that you will share this podcast with someone else. My experience has been that every family is hit with some kind of addiction, depression, some kind of a big challenge like that. And it really takes having an open, honest conversation to strengthen and build relationships. I know that that's been a huge blessing in my life, and I hope that you will reach out and start those conversations with someone else because it's hard to start sometimes. Most of all, I hope that you remember that there are people out there that need to have those conversations with you. They need to hear honest, open, heartfelt feelings and know that they're cared about. Really and truly, there are people depending on you. So go out and share. Go out and talk with them. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.